The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. You've been hearing that members of Parliament uh, have returned to uh, the House of Commons following a month-long break. The return, um, they return to face the ongoing ramifications of the COVID-19 pandemic, the vaccine rollout or lack thereof, and preparing uh, for a federal budget. Then there's the fallout from the cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline uh, from the Biden administration, the resignation of Governor General Julie Payette. Meanwhile, the Conservatives are, are looking to really turn the page on the ouster of uh, Derek Sloan from caucus and, and trying to make some headway in the polls in anticipation of a possible spring election. So much going on. We've called up Dr. Lydia Miljohn, an associate professor, professor in the Faculty of Political Science at the University of Windsor. Dr. Miljohn, welcome back to the show. Nice to be back. Oh, my goodness gracious. Can you just, you know, you take a look at uh, the past year. It's been a year yesterday that that first case of COVID was uh, was uh, was found in Canada and and how the pandemic has impacted politics and government and the way things are done. I mean, it has become all consuming in this country. Yes, government has certainly become all-consuming for us because there's nothing else. I mean, we don't really have a private sector anymore. We just have government, it seems. Yeah, and it's been uh, it's been you know something to to watch this roll out, and, and I'm curious your thoughts. I mean, there's been a lot of you know there's a lot of focus right now on vaccine rollout and and the concerns about getting the Pfizer uh, vaccine uh, from Belgium, whether whether it's going to you know you know the delays in that. Your thoughts on how that's been handled so far on on behalf of the uh, the Trudeau government. Well, you know, they, they promised us that we have more vaccines than any country per capita, that we'll have more vaccines than we can possibly use. The problem is we're last in line, it seems, compared to other countries. And part of that is how we dilly-dallied at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, the federal government spent a lot of time trying to get vaccine support from China rather than investing in homegrown vaccines. And we see the massive impact that's had on our ability to obtain vaccines. Other countries that invested in locally sourced vaccines are getting, you know, jabs in arms. And we are now um, waiting for uh, Pfizer to open up the, the vaccine supply for us. And, and now the EU is even going to be put, making it much more difficult because they'll want to be first in line as well. So in that respect, I think the federal government missed something really fundamental. They had opportunities to fund um, Canadian companies. I spoke to, to actually someone from a Canadian company that said that, you know, they... they they were going into phase one trials in April, but they didn't get the support from the government till September. So they're that much further behind. And this is a vaccine that could have been manufactured in Alberta. Mm. Dr. Miljohn, there's a lot of people really ticked off about it. They're just, they, they want that vaccine and they want it now. I think we all do, or a majority of us do, let's put it that way. Um, you, we're looking at the possibility of, of more uh, restrictions um, uh, from a, on a federal level. There's, there's talk of more travel res- restrictions being put in place this week. Um, you know, and I and I get why they're they're looking at that. Of of course, because of the new the new variants with with COVID nineteen and the concern around that. But uh, I'm getting the sense that Canadians. Um 
there, there might be some blowback from from this decision. I'm not. Well, you know, maybe not. Maybe maybe they'd be, uh, you know, happier with a, an overarching one on that federal level, something like that. Can't you know, shutting down you know international travel if something on a local level could be. Uh, lifted. What do you think about uh, what the reaction could be from Canadians on that on that uh, suspected travel restriction coming on later this week? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a bit frustrated by the travel restriction personally, just because I remember back about this time last year, I was planning a trip, you know, last year to Europe, and I booked my flights, and those all got cancelled, and I thought, well, I'm not going to travel until they open up the airwaves. I kind of missed a memo when they said you could start traveling again. (laughs) So I think that that this is really where they dropped the ball, that when, you know, back a year ago is when they should have shut the borders. That's when they should have stopped travel, because had we done it earlier, instead of, you know, playing games saying if you shut the borders you're racist and actually say if we're going to have travel we've got to have testing you cannot come into the country unless you have a negative test that should have been done a year ago and then we would have saved ourselves all this angst for them to be now putting imposing this travel ban okay but i don't think people are going to be that concerned because we've already shut down our economy the worst has come and we just want an end to this and if it means that you know we have to have a few more restrictions now let's just do it and so we can avoid future hardship. I mean, the fact is, you know, I'm in Ontario, and our numbers are still above 2,000 a day. The province says they're not going to open things up until we get below 1,000 a day. So we can't be getting in more highly contagious variants into our population. This is just never going to end. The vaccine is not going to help us if we can't stop the spread. Dr. Miljohn, um, you know, looking at uh, what has happened over the past couple of days with the resignation of uh, the Governor General, Julie Payette, um, this one, I would say, falls uh, directly at the feet of uh, of the Prime Minister when it comes from everything that I've read about the vetting process not being followed, that in fact, he, uh, he, he changed the vetting process from uh, what the Stephen Harper government had in place and really ignored um, maybe some of the warnings that maybe she wasn't the best choice for the job. Your your thought on how that's been handled so far? Well, I I always find it interesting that when uh, Prime Minister Trudeau uh, you know, when he when he's when he's asked to apologize for previous governments, he's very good at you know cueing the tears and telling us how terrible other governments were. But when he's caught making a mistake, and we could list them: SNC Lavalin, the We Charity scandal, now the Julie Payette story, he refuses to pol- apologize, and it just seems that he's so blinded by his what he thinks are his own good intentions. And I guess in the case of Julie Payette, he was starstruck in some respects, but also he he was so focused especially in his early mandate on having gender balance, that that seemed to trump any other decision-making. And and so this is, certainly falls on him, that he and his staff didn't do their due diligence. They just thought they had the star in terms of a, a former astronaut being governor general, and they refused to see any alternative evidence. And the fact remains that, you know, Harper did leave in a really nice system to have these kinds of appointments, and Trudeau chose not to follow that advice, maybe because he was being petty, because he didn't want to take on a policy that Harper put in, but now he has to pay the price. 
And of course, we know the other uh, big thing that we're certainly talking about uh, out here in Alberta is is uh, is Keystone and the decision by the Biden government to to pull the permit uh, on that. Um, you know, uh, Premier Kenny is saying that uh, the the federal Liberals should have fought harder, that Trudeau should have done more, that uh, Seamus Reagan should have been been doing more all the way around. I mean, I'm not sure if it's just Premier Kenny, um, you know, with a whole lot of bluster right now, because I think he probably should have been doing a whole lot more, given the fact that we knew months ago, we knew late early last year that Biden said this is going to happen if uh, if uh, he if he became president. Uh, again, the fallout from that, um, you know, the, I think Canadians or certainly Albertans want to see something more from the prime minister, maybe a little bit more fight in this. But it seems like he's just kind of, OK, well, it's happened. It's disappointing. We're just going to move along. Your thoughts? Yeah, it certainly seems that he's cut his losses on that one, that they aren't going to fight for it. And and, and I agree in some respects that there's just, it's a little bit too late to make that, that pitch. That pitch really had to be made almost a year or two ago to the American people, and in particular to the Democratic Party. You know, we, we as a country, both provincially and federally, had to have to acknowledge that there is a political system in the United States, and you can't just talk to the po- political party in power. You have to acknowledge that there are going to be elections and that different sides come in. And so we haven't made our case to the American people or to Democrats in particular about why a pipeline is preferable to, to transporting oil through tanker trunk or through trains. The fact remains, Americans still buy our oil. We still have to get it to them. Uh, And we know, I'm sure I know, and I know most people in Alberta know, that's a far better way to do it through pipelines than through any other mechanism. So that conversation had to happen to Democrats, and obviously it didn't happen. And so, and this this is also a problem we have even within Canada. You know, we have to talk to Quebec. Why is it that Energy East? Was 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 not approved. I mean, if if we're going to complain that the Americans don't take our oil through through pipelines, then we also have to make that conversation in that case to Quebec, saying why is it that you prefer to take oil from Saudi Arabia across the ocean, and somehow you won't accept oil from Alberta in a pipeline? Yeah, yeah, no, really great point there. And I know my text line, I have seen that comment over and over again over the past uh, number of days. I want to switch gears and look at uh, at the Conservatives and uh, leader Aaron O'Toole. I mean, we, um, you know, there's there's the potential of a, of a of an election this year. We, we've talked about this in the in the past about how long minority governments tend to last. We'll see how long the NDP continue to maybe prop up uh, the Liberals on, on that front. We'll have a budget, hopefully, sooner rather uh sooner rather than later. Um, Mr. O'Toole, um, still, you know, you look at the latest polling, and I looked at some polling numbers today, and, you know, um, the, the Liberals still leading by a good six points over the Conservatives and a probability of winning. It says 49% probability of the Liberals winning a majority, 44% winning um, a, a minority. How does he break through here? What does he need to do? Well, he needs Canadians to get to know who he is. I mean, I... I 
sometimes forget <laughs> who the leader of the <laughs> Conservative Party is because he doesn't get on the news. He doesn't have the daily pressers. I mean, we, we've seen throughout this pandemic that every single government, apart from Alberta's Jason McKinney, oddly enough, um, but all the other premiers are doing really well. I mean, prior to the to the pandemic, it looked like Doug Ford wasn't going to survive another election. Now he's the darling of the media because he gets out there every day. And that's the, the, the challenge for all opposition parties is how do you stay relevant when the prime minister is the one getting the daily pressers and getting all the attention. Uh, so part of it is just the tool needs to get out there, and that's really problematic and difficult for him. Now that we're, at least we're back uh, sitting at the House of Commons, he'll at least get some of the news cycle. But obviously they've got to really work on their policy, and they've got to have a clear alternative to the government. I'm not so convinced that there's going to be an election based on a voted on confidence. I think that the NDP has no appetite for an election. They don't have the money for it. They don't want to risk losing even more seats. So I don't think if there's an election, it's going to be because the NDP votes alongside the Conservatives and the Bloc. I think if there's a spring election, it's because the Prime Minister chooses to go to the Governor-General, once he selects one, uh, to go to election on his own behalf. And that's going to be interesting, too, uh, in the middle of a pandemic. But we've seen uh, other elections in the middle of a pandemic, haven't we? Interesting stuff. Always fascinating talking with you. Dr. Miljohn, I appreciate your time once again. Thank you. My pleasure. Nice talking with you. Yeah, take care. Dr. Lydia Miljohn, she's a political scientist uh, at the the University of, of Windsor. Um, and, you know, I think a, a lot of Canadians, uh, a lot of us want to know about the economy. And there's a lot of questions about the economy, the amount of money that has been spent and, you know, and, and, and needing to be spent to um, to try to help Canadians, to help uh, businesses. Uh, over the past year, we know that so many are still struggling, especially, you know, here in Alberta with, uh, you know, the, the continued uh, lockdowns or the restrictions that are in place. I know that the finance minister, Christia Freeland, uh, announced yesterday that she's launching pre-budget consultations. Okay, so check this out. She says she wants to hear what you think should be included in the Trudeau government's growth plan. Uh, she says the first and foremost uh, focus is fighting the coronavirus, but uh, they will be holding some online sessions and town halls, that sort of thing. And you can go online and offer your input right now if you so choose. It's let's talk budget 2021.ca. What does it look like crawling out of this as as a country? What does it look like? What does it mean provincially? What does it look like municipally? A lot of questions still on that front.